Mary and Joseph were not at home. It was a barn or a cave or a guest house behind the lodge, something kind of like a one-star youth hostel. The wise men were also not at home. They traveled from foreign country, their eyes fixed on a star. The unsettling news that Mary was expecting but not yet married made Joseph and all the members of the extended family queasy. It was not the hallmark happy scene one longs for to begin one's own home life. For the last several weeks, through sermons and devotions, we've been exploring how many of the characters in the Christmas story were actually not at home. They were on the move, attempting to find home, but maybe they had to go another way, out of their way even, to find themselves finally spiritually at home. The same is true for you and me. Aunt Connie decided not to risk the flight to come home for Christmas. No one can remember a Christmas when she wasn't at the dinner table and sitting around the tree laughing her special, unique laugh as all the gifts were unwrapped. Cousin Mimi makes the best pies, but she's still in quarantine. And Grandy usually reads the Christmas story and tells those really good jokes he lives in a care center, and he can't leave. Some of us are stuck at home, sick and tired of the four walls of our own home and longing to invite a friend or a few friends over to feast with us at the dinner table. Some of us do have the company of family and friends on this special night, but what we would like most is to be inside the walls of our church lined with the stained glass and shimmering with the candlelight, a calm roar settling over the congregation as we take off our gloves and coats and settle in shoulder to shoulder with the community of faith. We are not at home. So we've been seeking other routes, other paths to peace, trying to open ourselves up to the wholeness and peace and joy of this holy night, even though, frankly, we feel just a wee bit off. Eugene Peterson was a pastor and a professor of theology. He wrote more than 30 books, but perhaps is best known for a translation of the Bible he wrote called The Message. A few years ago, a friend gave me his memoir entitled The Pastor. In that book, he writes of growing up in the small town of Kalispell, Montana, located in the stunning landscape just a few miles from the main entrance of Glacier National Park. As a young boy, Eugene adored his family's annual Christmas tree tradition. When he would hear his father sharpening the axe, he knew it was just about to begin. He and his baby sister and his parents would bundle up and load into the Model A Ford pickup and take off. Eugene rode in the open truck bed, holding the axe on the bouncy 10-mile ride to Lake Blaine, where they would cut down a young tree on the valley floor where the new growth was just coming back after a forest fire. At home, they strung beautiful multicolored lights in silver and gold tinsel while he scoffed at his best friend's tree across the street that only had one color lights. 
And then he would run outside to peer back at the fresh cut and splendidly decorated Douglas fir from the viewpoint of the road, admiring it through the living room window. But one year, something changed. Eugene's mom declared that there would be no tree. Something in her Bible study that year that mom had read made her think that the scriptures in the Old Testament denounced the practice of Christmas trees. Eugene was mortified. When his friends would ask after school if they could come into his house, he would lie. He would shush them away from his house, telling them they couldn't come in. My sister has a contagious disease, he would lie. Or he would make up a story like, mom's too mad, you can't come in. But the truth is he didn't want them to notice they had no tree. On Christmas Day, when the Norwegian relatives came over, one of the uncles, in fact, one of the uncles who was an avowed atheist, teased his mother, you don't have a Christmas tree. For Eugene, it was embarrassing. The next year, and for every year after, they had a tree. But Eugene never forgot about the treeless Christmas. What is it that is the missing tree in our Christmas this year? A caroling party with friends that got canceled? A visit to grandmother's house? For 300,000 families in our nation, there's a family member who will not be at the table for Christmas this year. For thousands and thousands and thousands of family there's not enough money for gifts. For many, not enough food for a regular day, let alone a feast day. We have a lot of treeless Christmases on this night. And so how do we find our way home to God when so much is simply not right in the world? The shepherds, in Luke's telling of the story, might shed a little light on our most disrupted Christmas ever. The shepherds were actually at home. At first, it doesn't look like they are at home because they are out in the fields keeping their flocks by night. But they're not on a business trip. They live in the fields. Not an ideal home, more of a makeshift home, a rickety home made of discarded rubble. If you travel to Israel today, you can still see the Bedouin shepherds living out in the hillsides in these little metal lean-tos. Some say that the shepherds represent the poor. Some say they represent the common person. In biblical times, there was not really a thing that we know today as a middle class. You were likely either poor or in the top 1%. Like you were either Jeff Bezos or sleeping under a bridge. Well, That's an exaggeration, but the point is that most people had enough food for a day, but no real savings or rainy day fund, no certain future. And actually, the pandemic has made all of us into shepherds. There's really no one who is immune to the virus. Presidents and prime ministers and movie stars all get it. Pregnant mothers in homeless shelters get it. When Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth, 
the main drama happens with the shepherds out in the field. Luke tells about the night when Jesus was born in three scenes. The first scene is really just the stage, a backdrop of sorts, but significant nevertheless. Scene one is the political landscape. Caesar Augustus reigns as the emperor. Quirinius holds the governor's seat. A census is underway to update the tax rolls. So Mary and Joseph, as subjects of the empire, travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be registered to be accounted for by the government. In the final scene, in scene three, we see Mary and Joseph and Jesus lying in the feed trough and the shepherds excitedly telling the Holy Family, hey, this is no ordinary baby in the crib. But the real action of Luke's story takes place in scene two, out in the fields with the shepherds. An angel appears to the shepherds, leaving them terror-stricken. God's glory blazes from the sky. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a heavenly crowd of angels sing, Peace on earth, goodwill to absolutely everyone. All the light in Luke's story, it shines on the shepherds. The stunning visitation from God is not revealed with the government, with Caesar or Quirinius. It is not even with the Holy Family. No, the breathtaking moment of joy and awe unfolds during the night shift of some shepherds living in a dilapidated home. God enters into the ordinary lives of some frightened peasants and fills them with ecstatic energy and radiant beauty. I love what the Jewish mystic Abraham Joshua Heschel says about the common journey of faith that we all share. He said the problem is not lack of information, but lack of appreciation. Maybe the choirs of angels visited lots of shepherds that night, but this group paid attention. This group listened. This group appreciated the wonder of God unfolding in their midst. Maybe lots of babies were born that night, all of them full of infinite love, but on this night, the world paused to notice how beautiful, peaceful, holy, stunning, and awe-inspiring it is when a family is born and a mother and father adore their soft, squishy, wrinkled-up baby. This is the night when the world noticed that God, even in the midst of a messy political backdrop, even in the midst of broken families, even in the midst of poverty and treeless Christmases, that God comes to make a home with the human race. Do we, like the shepherds, have the eyes to see the holiness of God unfolding in the most humble and ordinary places? Could God appear in a COVID ward where a nurse holds an iPad up for a patient? In a prison cell where a brother will not ever be home for Christmas? In an empty sanctuary 
where the pews cry out for warm bodies at a dinner table where a family member is missing in a refugee camp where a child is born this night in a canvas tent. Eugene Peterson wrote that after he became a man, he realized that the treeless Christmas was the year that he experienced actually the most authentic Christmas he would ever have in his life. That experience of being misunderstood, of suffering and humility, of feeling like an outsider was exactly what Mary and Joseph felt. Jesus himself was born into poverty, shunned by the neighbors in his own hometown, and persecuted for his acts of bold and courageous love. God becoming human flesh was completely opposite of what the world imagined, completely countercultural. Who could have imagined that God among us in ordinary life, in the flesh? Who could imagine angels of God showing up with those ordinary shepherds out in the fields? In the book, The Nurses of the Mayo Clinic, we read about how God came to earth in human form. In the 1940s and 1950s, there was a nun who was chubby and jolly and lived very near the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. The nurses wanted to do something to cheer the children who were in the hospital on Christmas Day, and so they invited the nun to put on a Santa suit. The children were all in a ward overlooking a large window overlooking a large hill. And the nun put on the Santa suit, and then she put on snow skis, and she skied down the hill to the delight of the children. And then another Santa, one of the Mayo doctors who knew the children by name, joined her and passed out the gifts. But Christmas joy is also needed by adults. During the 1918 pandemic, the Mayo Clinic had a field hospital in France to help with the war effort. On top of all the war injuries, many of the soldiers came down with the flu. They had 112 patients, and half of them died by December. In addition to providing medical care, the nurses sang carols. <laughs> they decorated the wards with those beautiful little paper Christmas chains, with Christmas trees and with holly. God comes in human form. God comes into the reality of our lives. On Christmas, we remember that it is not we that need to search for God. God has already found us. Let us pray. Holy God, thank you for making your home among us for revealing the glory of your love in our human flesh. Tonight, no matter where we are, we are spiritually at home in your tender presence. As a mother embraces her newborn, so we embrace your gentle love freely given to us. Tonight, the light of your love shines for all the world to see. As the angels sang and the shepherds ran, we dare to shout with our lives, about how love overcomes fear. Tonight, your hope is born in us 
as the light of Christ radiates in a broken world, we offer the substance of our own flesh to reveal your tender grace. In the name of the newborn King, we pray. Amen.